When my mum came back and, and she was so upset that she'd been diagnosed with cancer, that night I prayed to God, and this might sound a bit strange, but I prayed to God that when my results come through, they will be cancerous too. I'm Chantal Miller, proud Indivision and Jamaican, and founder of Island Girls Rock. On this podcast, we champion women of the Caribbean and this diaspora, encouraging them to share their stories in a space created to celebrate them. It's equal parts fun, informative, and always engaging. Welcome to our tribe. On this episode, we speak with my cousin. Yes, it's nepotism. Lee Paris Cambridge, and we speak about her journey with cancer, with plant-based eating. We touch on her spirituality and how she remains positive in the face of adversity. It's a real pleasure having Lee here today. Hello, Lee. How are you? I'm fabulosa. <laughs> hey, guys. So we're back again with Island Girls Rock Podcast. And I'm here with a very special guest, Lee Paris Cambridge. Lee, not just my friend, but she's my cousin. And it's really awesome to have her on the show today. A little bit of nepotism doesn't hurt, does it? It certainly doesn't. <laughs> and if it means doing what we're doing, then I'm all for it. Oh, fantastic. Welcome, Lee. So today we're going to speak about, you know, your absolute love of Nevis, the journey that you're going through right now. Mm -hmm. But I always start off by asking our guests, who are you? Oh, who am I? Mm. Oh my gosh. I am, I am possibilities. Okay. And that is so many different things. And it's really whatever's in my heart, I do. And okay. so anything is possible. Anything is possible. So what would you say that you feel that you're here to do? Oh, my purpose. Mm -hmm. My purpose. And this is something that's been with me for so many years. Because okay. when I revisit diaries and notebooks <laughs> and everything like that, I haven't changed. I want the same thing. Mm -hmm. And that is to make a difference. Okay. And so life tends to send you on a journey mm -hmm. to determine where you're going to make a difference. Right. So whatever the difference is, and it connects to me, mm -hmm. then I'm going to make every effort to do it. Okay. And another question that we ask every single guest, who are you repping today? Which island? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Nevis! <laughs> oh, <laughs> Finally. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Nevis. Oh, my gosh. I'm in love. I, I know. Nevis. I, I know all about your love affair with that 36 square mile oh island. Gosh. Yes, we are both repping Nevis oh, hard yes. today. That it's majestic really <laughs> Nevis peak. Oh, gosh. Absolutely. absolutely. One of the questions that I have for you, something that's actually really important to not just myself, but to the entire Island Girls Rock community is surrounding wellness. And I know that you are a qualified mm -hmm. personal trainer. How did you get there? How did Lee become a personal trainer? Oh my gosh, you're taking me back now. I am. You? <laughs> I was in Nevis at the time mm. um, with my son, who was probably about 11 or 12 mm -hmm. at the time. And... I had been on the island for a while and I wanted to do something that was meaningful. I didn't just want to work just for the sake of working and earning a wage at the end of the week. And I wanted to do something more. And so I thought, what can I do that's something that's meaningful to others that also allows me to have time to be with my son 
because he was a school, you know, it's still in school. So family mm-hmm. quality time was very, very important to me mm-hmm. and having time then to do other things within the community. So I thought, what could I do and what do I enjoy doing? Right. And I always, I always enjoyed going and working out in the gym and going to aerobics classes and things like that. And I thought, well, I was in Nevis and there really wasn't much going on as far as, you know, clubs, because obviously they're small islands. Yeah. And what so year was that, Lee? That would have been... 15 or 17 years ago right yeah so that's easy for me to say um but yeah so I was in I was in Nevis and so I came back to England Mm -hmm. and qualified so we're going to flash forward a few years Mm -hmm. so you're back in England Mm -hmm. and you're just kind of floating around and something happens that really changes the course of your life that changes your journey take us through that day and that particular time period and what happened right well I was actually a leisure club manager down at Beaumont House in Old Windsor and my I I had been you know again fit and healthy and one evening I was getting out in the shower and I was starting to you know dry my skin and as I rubbed my hand across my chest, I felt this little lump. Mm-hmm. And I'd say it was like the size of a lentil. Okay. Um, but it was so close to the surface, I could see, I could see the clear, you know, white of right. it beneath the skin. And it was, it was a definite lump. Mm-hmm. And because I had small breasts that, you know, I thought, well, this was really unusual because okay. I'm used to these little round, smooth breasts. And so I showed my mum and she was concerned straight away because it was my breasts. And so she told me to go to the doctors. And I went to the doctors and it was a, a locum doctor, so she wasn't our regular doctor. Mm-hmm. And she looked at, looked at my breast, she examined it, and she said, oh, it's just probably a bit of gristle. Okay. Um, just come back and you know, check it in six weeks' time. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, I knew my breasts well enough you know, I wasn't one of these women who examined her breast regularly, right. and I was thirty-five at the time. Okay, and so I, I, you know, I thought, I well, I haven't, you know, I haven't got big breasts, and I'm not, you know, with bigger breasts, there might be more tissue and stuff like okay. that, and I could understand okay. the the terminology gristle right. if I had big breasts, but I right. had small little boobs. So you felt it was abnormal. Well, I just knew that it wasn't wasn't there before mm, and that wasn't right. And it was under the skin. It's not like it was a spot that was on top of the skin where you could Mm. squeeze. This was underneath the skin. So I I said, well, can I have a mammogram? Where did that come from? I'd never even discussed mammograms. Do you know what I mean? No one in our family really discussed them. And um, and so she said, well, "Well, you wouldn't be invited for a mammogram because you're only 35. And so because you're, um, no, 37. And so she said, when you're 40, in your 40s, then you'll be invited for one. So I said, well, well, can I have one? Can I, you know, can I, I don't know, even, I don't even know what made me insist, but I said, can I have one? And she said, well, if I put you, if I put you down for a mammogram, you'll have to probably wait a month. Wow. And I said, okay, okay, just as long as I can have one, I'd I'd just really rather have one. And, and that was, I, that's how I insisted on getting a mammogram. But in the meantime, like within, uh, I think it was a week, my mum who was, um, my mum's um, Irish, yeah. so yeah. her skin is is white. So she, again, she'd come out of the bathroom and it just so happened that my little sister and I had a mirror on the top of the stairs. When you're getting dressed up, you look mm. in the mirror. And my mum was always saying, will you move that mirror from the top of the stairs? Anyway, the mirror was at the top of the stairs. She came out of the bathroom and she could see a red patch on the side of her breast. And so... She showed me it and I thought it looked like somebody had thrown a tennis ball and it hit hit her and stung okay. her. That's the size of it. 
And she thought because my mum's buxom that maybe her arm was resting on it. And so she said, oh, it's probably that. But in the morning, the red patch was still there. And so she called the doctor and they basically said, come right now. Mm-hmm. because she was over 50. Of course. So they yeah. said, come right now. And from there, they sent her straight to the hospital, um, the parapet to have a biopsy and a, mm-hmm. a mammogram and a, an X-ray. And so when she came back, basically she was bawling her eyes out. She was devastated, right. the fact yeah. that she just went through this process. What mm-hmm. does that mean? It can only mean one thing. And so we just then had to wait for her results, which was two weeks. In the meantime, my mammogram appointment comes through and I go... And I'm at work at this time. And I thought, well, let me go during my lunch break and then I'll come back to work. Went during my lunch break and they just said straight away, we need to do an ultrasound. Mm -hmm. And so that was after the mammogram, we'll do an ultrasound. And then they said, we'll just we'll just do a biopsy. We've noticed something. I mean, it's like you you don't even you're not even really prepared for anything like that. And so then they did the biopsy and I thought, well, it was a little bit tender and so I didn't go back to work I went home and of course walked in and my mum was there and I said oh told them what what they'd done to me and of course she was like oh my gosh this is you know this is going to mean one thing they wouldn't do these things unless there's something sinister going on right anyway my mum's results come back and they tell her that she's been diagnosed with breast cancer yes and she is devastated which she, typically that's the reaction absolutely she yeah. was she walked through the door and she didn't want me to go with her to yeah. the doctors when they were getting the results so when she came in she was crying her eyes out I didn't know what to say um but the typical English thing or British thing that you would say is would you like a cup of tea it just seems to right. help to calm yeah. things down doesn't it and yes. so it was like I made her a cup of tea and she was so so upset mm-hmm. um thinking about losing um you know her losing a life meaning that she's leaving her children behind without mums and who's going to love you the way I love you and all of this and you know all those concerns and so so jumping a couple of weeks now Mm -hmm. my results come through and and I have say that when my mum came back and and she was so upset that she'd been diagnosed with cancer that night I prayed to God and this Mm -hmm. might sound a bit strange but I prayed to God that when my results come through they will be cancerous too. This will be a positive result. I remember this. So it's, very, I haven't said that for a long time. So I it's, it's know. Really it's, yeah, I to, actually to remember this. Yes. And um, so, and it's not because I wanted to die or, mm. you know, or, you know, this pact with my mum to die or anything like that. It's, I just had this faith that everything was going to be all right. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I say faith because just a few, I think it was about two or three years before that, I had actually renewed my faith yes. and got baptised while I was in Nevis. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it didn't. it's not my own strength that I was really working with. And so I just felt that I had enough faith that we would be all right mm-hmm. and I would be all right. And I could support my mum. So she could never say, you don't know what I'm going through. Okay. Because people, when they're going through something like this on their own, they can withdraw, they can get depressed, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't want that for her. I loved my mum so much. I didn't want her to go through it by herself. And so my results came through and they were positive. They were. And I had I had um, breast cancer too. Yes. And we were we were opposite breasts. I was left, she was right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so then we went on this journey together and we made a pact that, Everything was going to remain normal. 
we were going to, you know, we wasn't, we weren't going to let this affect our lives in any any negative way. And it was business as usual. And and of course, we had my son who was seventeen at the time. My little sister was twelve at the time, and my niece was seven because we're yeah. very close knit yes. families as you are in the we are in the Caribbean. And so we had to then talk about how do we talk to the children about it mm-hmm. because we were dealing with three different ages which means that their understanding is is very different Absolutely. and so Absolutely. with with my niece it was very more a lot more childlike and you know mm-hmm. and mummy you know nanny and and auntie you know have have um going to have to have some you know treatment and medicine and that, that, that things like that and with my little sister she was upset because she thought my mum was going to lose her hair which she that was a part of it and so we had to reassure her and say oh that's all right it's only going to be for a little while and look at all the wigs that she can wear and you know making it fun (laughs) I have a story about wigs oh yes yes you do have a story (laughs) and um, excellent and then with my son he was different. He was 17. And I'm his mum. Mm-hmm. And this is a very, you know, this age for, you know, for the boys. He, one thing is I walked in with my sunglasses on and all the children were in the living room and I started talking. You must take your glasses off. Okay. People need to see your eyes. Okay. Because when I was saying to my son, you know, this is the situation, but everything's going to be fine. God's going to, you know, take mm-hmm. care of it. And he couldn't see my eyes. And right. he actually came over to me and he took my glasses off of my eyes mm. to see if I was saying, you know, meaning what meaning I was saying, what you were saying. Or am I just saying it just to, you know, just to make to, them feel better? Yes, exactly. Right. And so he took my glasses off and, and I said it again. And I said it hand in my, on my heart that everything is going to be okay. okay. And so then I just remember him walking out of the room while we were still talking to my little sister. And then I was conscious that he wasn't in the room. And so I stepped out into the hallway and he was stood there in the hallway with my shades on, oh. just stood there. And I took them off of him and I just looked at him and I said, God has got this. He is going to watch over us and watch over me and everything's going to be fine. And with that, he took off the glasses. He Mm -hmm. went, give me a kiss on the cheek. He said, all right, mum, see you later. Went out (laughs) and trust me, life was just normal for all of us. Yes, I witnessed this, everyone. I actually was in the mix a little bit. You were. I I do remember. We had some funny moments. (laughs) I actually remember when you called me Mm -hmm. um, to tell me, because obviously you told me that, you know, these things had occurred, that you found a lump, that auntie had also found something mm-hmm. and that you were both being checked and so forth. And so I got that call and you were like, yeah, Shan, so this is what's happening. So it's all positive. We've both been diagnosed with cancer and this is how <laughs> you're delivering the news to me. I'm like, what's she saying? This is quite surreal. Both of you? Like both? And I couldn't quite wrap because I thought, what are the odds? Mm-hmm. That both my aunt and my cousin mm-hmm. have been diagnosed with breast cancer. So, you know, but you were so upbeat and so positive. But you know what? It's early stages. You know, we've got the NHS. We'll be taken mm-hmm. care of. And so, you know, I was like, OK, yeah, man, we're going to beat this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, yeah. What do you need <laughs> me to do? How can I support you? But then I hung up the phone. I was like, what? <laughs> and I just had to take a step back. I'm like, OK, no, this wasn't actually good news. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, I took a step back for myself and I was so aware that for me, I wanted to support you fully. And if this was the route that you wanted to take, if this was your approach, mm-hmm. then I had to take that approach also. Mm-hmm. So then I had to calm my mum. 
Mm. Oh. Uh, yeah. And tell Vanessa Paris mm-hmm. that this is what's going on with your niece, mm-hmm. right? And so that was a different experience mm-hmm. altogether. But I think, Lee, what you did for the family and quite selflessly was that in your approach to your cancer diagnosis, you were so reassuring to us that never for one minute did any of us not believe that both of you were going to survive. Mm-hmm. We knew you were. And so for us, it was just like, what do we do? How can we be there for you? Yeah. And, but that's down to you. Okay. And, and so I want to actually thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Because, you know, you're like my sister. Mm-hmm. And that phone call could have gone quite differently. Yes. I could have been curled up on the floor in a fetal position. Mm-hmm. But because of you, I wasn't. And you, you brought such a light to the family with your diagnosis. It's, I know it could sound quite crazy to our listeners, but that's what you did. Oh. And so we all started to do our research. Like, okay. Because you were saying, like, giving us words and phrases. And we were like, what? Okay, yes, Google. new language. <laughs> yes, seriously. Completely new language. Yeah. And then, you know, you both survived. Mm-hmm. And you received exceptional care. Oh, my goodness. From the NHS. Exceptional. Exceptional. So let's take a moment yes. to say thank you to the NHS. Oh, for sure. Oh, happy 70th anniversary. <laughs> and I have to say I was completely looked after. Yes. Um, my feet didn't get a chance to stay on the ground. Mm. They were, I was just swept up in care, in tests, in yes. getting right down there. They didn't waste any time whatsoever. Yes. When I was on the wards, the nurses were so lovely, you know, and chatting. And see these, and even the, even down to the anaesthetists who were putting mm-hmm. you asleep, they just, the, the, the ch- you never felt like I was a patient yes. who was sick. So Lee, you were obviously well cared for, mm-hmm. you know, both you and Auntie Mary survived. Mm-hmm. We're so grateful for that. But then, you know, your love for Nevis Uh got you thinking, what if I didn't have this option Mm -hmm. and I was based fully in Nevis and I had received this diagnosis, what would I have done? Mm. So what were your thoughts and what did you then decide to do for Nevis? Well, you see, God works in mysterious ways. Mm. While I was still in the hospital after the mastectomy, I was brought magazines and I was going, it's like an OK magazine, one of those magazines. Right. And so I turned the pages. The double page spread was of St. Kitts and Nevis. <laughs> what are the chances of that? Right. In that hospital where I am. I mean, most people haven't even heard of Nevis. And so for it be, to be in the, in the magazine. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, oh, number one, I was homesick. Mm. And number two is I thought, you know, all my time in Nevis, what have I ever heard of about cancer awareness, breast mm-hmm. cancer and, you know, mammograms. And I didn't, I can't recall hearing anything. Right. And so with that, I contacted the Minister of Health on the island, mm-hmm. and which was the, a new party had just come into power. And so I contacted them. I contacted the chief medical officer at Alexander Hospital and, and uh, another a chief doctor and to find out, did they do mammograms? Um, was there awareness? on the island and was there any support and what kind of treatments and the response was we don't have mammograms Mm -hmm. there is no organization in in nevis and mammograms can be done on a different on sink kits okay and in nevis alone they would just basically do the surgery to remove the breast and and that was it what year was this lee was it 2007 or 2000 it was 
2007 that I had that conversation because okay. that's the year right. I was diagnosed. I just wanted to be clear on yes, that. Yes, 2007. This now, this is 2007. No, 2007. Mm-hmm. So that's um, 11 years ago. So right. it's 11 years that I was diagnosed. Right. And, and so from that, six weeks after my surgery, I flew back to Nevis. Mm. And because I, I asked, you know, I'd like to share this experience to raise awareness of cancer in, in Nevis. And initially it started off with Nevis and then it extended to St. Kitts and mm-hmm. Nevis. And so I just went on the radio in Nevis straight away. I was doing TV and that's and and that's where it started. Okay. And that's actually while I was on the journey. And then that was so... And when I was there, I was doing every activity. So, you know, and very... I climbed the mountain. I was going horseback riding. And this I was is doing six weeks, six weeks after, after my surgery. surgery. Yeah. You're climbing Nevis Peak. Yes, yes, I was. <laughs> and, and then... And so then after that would be the chemotherapy started in the August. And so I had hair when I went for the first trip after the surgery. And so I wanted to go back um, every step of the journey so that people could see right. any changes, any physical changes. Yes. Of course, then I went back with no hair. Then I went back and I was had put on weight because, of course, the, all the medication it affects right. you. Right. The only thing that didn't change was my smile because that was in the same place and it was a genuine smile mm-hmm. throughout the whole journey. And that was really important for me was to show people that you can go through this journey with this illness that, you know, you didn't know about before and we've only ever known it to be a scary word mm-hmm. and or an unspoken word mm-hmm. or the big C, you know, it's a big taboo. And I wanted to show people in Nevis that they could go through a journey and continue smiling and, you know, not be afraid of this. And it was to help to remove okay. that taboo and the stigma. OK, so how did you formalize what you were doing? What what grew out of something that came from your heart mm-hmm. and from your own experience and from wanting to really impact positively on survivors of cancer in mm-hmm. and people who had been diagnosed? What did you formally then decide to do with that? Right. Well, then I thought, well, I needed to make sure that this can be an ongoing thing mm-hmm. that I can help and then look at how I was looked after in England. It was really modelling the care and everything that I had received in England. And so I set up an organisation called Pink Lily Cancer Care. And it was actually breast cancer care uh-huh. at the time. Yes. That's since been dropped. Yes. Because we support all cancers now. I noticed that. Yes. yes. So yes. So now we are we embrace men, women, children mm-hmm. um, of all cancers because cancer is cancer. It's just in a different part of your body. We, we go through the same emotions, the same fears, the same surgeries. And so, you know, it's it's the same thing. So we need to offer that support to everyone. And so officially on February the 9th, 2008, Pink Lily Cancer Care was established as a charitable organisation in, in, in St. Kitts and Nevis. Fantastic. And the yeah. name Pink Lily, where does that come from? Well, pink, initially because of the breast, that was very feminine yes. colour. So the pink and Lily... I was called Lily as a child and also it's a beautiful flower, one of my favourite flowers. Yes. And so I kind of combined it and, you know, so, and it was very feminine and very lovely. And so, and the flower represents hope. And, you know, when someone's sick or someone's not well or just to cheer someone up or to, you know, or ask for forgiveness or show your love, you bring them flowers and it brings hope and comfort and, you know, and joy. And so the flowers, that's what it represented. And in my logo... It has a, a lily, a pink lily, and it has black hands. So the the, the pink lily is being held with the, by these black hands, and the black hands represent the Afro-Caribbean people. 
So this is African people um, in the Caribbean. And, and, and I had a butterfly above it, a pink butterfly. And the butterfly represents freedom because yes. as free as you know, the butterfly is. And so, again, yeah. freedom from fear, all of these negatives. And so that mm-hmm. butterfly represents freedom. And yes, and we were launched and we then went on our journey to raise awareness, educate, inform, provide support for families going through it. We set up a breast screening program where we ro- we raised money so that we could screen um I think our goal was 200 women. We screened 204 women. Yes. Rose, um, fi- we raised 50,000 DC, and and that's that's what over what over 15 50,000. That's what 15,000 pounds. Yeah. So and so that went on, and we provided um, counselling because in my in my experience and training and everything, I'm a trained teacher as well, yes, and you are. so I I designed different programs. So I designed a breast screening program. So we provided the um, awareness and little education before the ladies went for a mammogram. So mm-hmm. we talked about the breasts and what the breast looks like. We talked about what cancer is, explained what yes. a mammogram is and answered any questions and, you know, and shared yes. the experience so that it would help them to, you know, be at ease mm. when they were going over for mm. a mammogram. Excellent. And then, and we also offered post counselling yes. as well. And out of those 204 women who had the screening, two were diagnosed with cancer, went on to have so early detection and went on to have treatment and their survivors today. Oh, wonderfully. And, you know, there's so much more work that Pink Lily has done, not just for Nevis and St. Kitts, but I know that you guys do remote counselling mm-hmm. and support. And unfortunately, we can't get into everything mm-hmm. because there's so much more to your story that we're really anxious to share. Mm-hmm. But I also want to congratulate you and your team Thank you. for the work that you do. And it, you, you approach cancer care from every angle, emotional, physical, mm-hmm. you know, mental well-being. Yes. And so congratulations thank and you. thank you so much for establishing Pink Lily for that island that we love. We're going to time travel now. We're going to flash forward a few years. And where are we? 2016. Okay. You're in Nevis. I am in Nevis in 2016. You're in Nevis in 2016. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know, I think, I don't know if it was a phone call or WhatsApp or something, but we were in communication. Mm -hmm. And then you tell me something. Yes. Let's share that. Yes. Again, in my lovely Nevis, in the sun, relaxing on the lounger. And I noticed that my tummy had started to swell. And I thought, oh, maybe I'm pregnant. But it started to swell really rapidly. And this is like in the space of, you know, a few days. And I thought, well, maybe it's triplets. They <laughs> say that, you know, when you've got multiple births, you grow quicker. And I thought, no, this is ridiculously fast. Right. And, and so I went to Alexander Hospital and I had I had an ultrasound, and through the ultrasound, they detected that there was all this fluid in my abdomen, and they said you need to go back to England um, wow. because we we can only do so many distant diagnostic you know right. tests in here. There's only so much we can do, and um, they che- they chest they give me a chest X ray, and that was clear. But uh, I I remember feeling when I was lying on the bed when the two doctors were there looking at the screen, this sense of 
this is not good news came over me and I actually felt very internally emotional and my life kind of flashed in front of me and I could just could picture my children, my little girls. Yes, because by this time... They were just like three and yeah, four, and you were also like that. married. And yes, you are married. by this time, yes. Yeah. I'm married now, I've got a grown-up son now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but it was their little faces that were flashing in my face and I just kept on thinking that, you know, it just came into my mouth that, mummy's not there and they'll be calling my name and I'm not going to be there and it was very very emotional I don't know you know where it came from but it just that sense of fear Mm. crept in and so I got back to England I the day I flew in I saw my doctor the day I flew in on the Sunday and then I was at the absolutely NHS for sure and then I went to the hospital for bloods on the Monday so it was very very quick and by the Thursday so I was I was admitted and then I was in hospital for the whole weekend and they were um, looking to drain this fluid now that they had, no, yes, said that yeah. this is fluid, it's um, ascites, which was a build-up of fluid. Never heard of it before. Mm-hmm. In my whole 10 years, what was it, what, nine years at that time of um, raising awareness for Pink Lily, this was never a sign or symptom that okay. I had read so about. This, this is not what I was educated. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, so then the doctor came, and they told me to um, ensure that my family were with me. Some families of members yes. were with me the next day. And I was like, no, no, it's all right. Because me and my mum always would do our things separately and just do it and then come home or whatever. Right. But then in the morning when the nurse was coming to give me my observations, she went out and then came back in and said, oh, um, there is a note there saying that um, you need to have family members with you. And right. when she said that, because again, it's repeated from the night before, mm. again, this something hit me that this is not good this is they're not going to say something good and so I got very fearful and a very you know emotional I called my dad I was crying I called Eileen I was crying my sister Eileen and I called my mum and so they came to the hospital and then my dad popped out and so he wasn't there when the doctor came to tell me but my mum was sat in a chair my sister Eileen was sat in the chair and I was on in a chair and the consultant he came and sat down beside me and he was saying, well, we've done this and we've done that. And he was talking very slow and deliberate, mm-hmm. irritatingly slow yes, and deliberate. I that I wanted to say, come on, hurry up. Mm. And he started to say, we've done this, we've done that. And we found a lesion in your liver. And I had my little notebook and a pen and I was sitting there nodding. And I wrote this down. And, and your bowel, something else. I wrote that down. I looked over to my mum. She was just very red and just very stiff. Eileen's eyes were full of tears and they're rolling yes. down her eye cheeks already. And three areas of your spine. Mm-hmm. So he told me that this is a metastasis from the original breast cancer from the nine. A metastasis means that it's spread from its original site. And it's travelled obviously through the bloodstream to different organs, and which is considered also stage four. Yes, cancer. Which some people say, "Well, what does that mean? What is stage four? But that's. So, but he never said the word stage four right. at that time. Yeah. Um, but just told me the it's here, 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 and here. And I was nodding and writing this down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so then he said, "I'm sorry, I couldn't have given you better news." Um, he rubbed me on the shoulder and said, "Go home, get your affairs in order." and be with your family. And this was two years ago. Yes. and so he, two yes. years ago, you were diagnosed yes. with stage four, four cancer. Yes. Right. Yes. And, and you were told... Go home and get your affairs in order and mm-hmm. be with your family. And like 
be, get prepared, basically. And my mum was still sat there. Eileen, because he walked out, that Eileen jumped up and came over and she hugged me and, and we were like, Wah. but it was less than 60 seconds of that just letting it out that I stopped and said, hold on a minute, but I'm in England and I'm going to get taken care of because we have the NHS. What about our people in, in Nevis? What right. about our people in St. Kitts? With stage four diagnosis. Yeah, with stage four diagnosis. Mm-hmm. What chance have they got? And again, again, because of my faith, it's like it dried up any fear and, and it, I was just driven to, I've got to let Nevis, you know, let our people in Nevis know that, I'm going through this, they can, you know, and so even then the smile is still there. Yes. And, and you know, and, and I, this was a whole new thing. I didn't know what I was dealing with. Yeah. My mum bought me a book saying Beat Cancer by a, a, she was a professor and she also had cancer several times, in fact. And, and she had um, travelled to East Asia, looking at diet, looking at soil, looking at all right. of these things. Uh-huh. And they established that in East Asia, there were less cases of cancer than there were in in the West. And why why did she believe that was? What did she What did she find? have findings? Yeah. Was the food that we eat. It was it was it really basically that's down to the bottom line yes. is what we eat. Yes. And also she found that when those from East Asia had started to adopt the Western diet, the cancer case rates increased. I for, I was on my computer for hours on end looking mm-hmm. up all these things on how to heal, how to do this. Mm-hmm. And the vegan plant-based diet was it. And because um, I have Facebook, yes. I was posting a lot, everything on Facebook. And I had even returned to Nevis again to pick up my children, I was on the radio and the news, you know, the TV um, to share the journey. Mm-hmm. And then when I came back, again, it was really about... Um, eating the right way but while I was in um before I got to Nevis I got a phone call from Romeo Paris who was in St Kitts and he'd been a pharmacist and knew him for many years in because he had a pharmacy in Nevis and just so I haven't heard the same name I know (laughs) the island's so small all called Paris (laughs) (laughs) so he'd reached out to me because in the last 16 years he'd been studying biomedicine and everything like that and he had minerals that he said these will basically help to heal your body they're plant-based minerals and you know and he knew all about pharmacy pharmaceuticals and mm-hmm. you know and that how many people were given medicine to treat just the symptoms but not the you know not to cure you not yeah. to heal you and so he gave me like five months supply of these plant-based minerals based on my own needs and what was lacking in my body mm. and I just started to, you know taking these every day and again eating this vegan and juicing I was doing all of that I was so happy <laughs> oh yes and of course you gave me some advice on some some recipes I was so happy and, like, yes, yes. <laughs> you even came down and we're doing the smoothies yes. loved it and so I started doing that and I say from from that moment to now mm-hmm. all of my blood tests have all gone back into their normal ranges and remained in their normal ranges. The CT scan was showing reductions in the liver lesion. The bowel is now unremarkable, which meant there's no nothing, nothing there. Nothingly. And the spine had one of the lesions had, again, now been considered um, benign and the other two were stable. And so for the journey, for the last two years, everything has been shrinking and shrinking. And I've just been... I look normal. You're I've never. Your best I say, life. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm just. I'm doing more than I did before. And what I love about that, though, Lee, is that you were sharing 
all of this on Facebook so that yeah. people can see this is actually what stage four cancer looks like. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily all doom and gloom. No. You know, these are the ways that I'm healing my body. So I'm sharing everything that I'm learning yes, with my absolutely. experience. I'm sharing with you. Absolutely. Because it is not a death sentence. And what you are doing, you are so powerful in what you're doing. You're removing that fear. Mm-hmm. You know, you're dispelling all the myths. Yeah. You're showing people this is how I was given X amount of time because he did actually say a few months. I remember you said to me. Well, he, he, what did he, when did I he... asked him, is this stage four cancer, which yes, a couple of days yeah. later, he said, well, yes. And I said, is there, is there a time, a time frame? frame. Yes. And he, he actually didn't, he wasn't able to give me a time yeah. frame, which to me, that was kind of like a hopeful thing that they're not saying it's only two weeks <laughs> right. or six months. Yes. So it was kind of open mm. because they wanted to treat me and see then if there was any difference happen? if it would yeah, okay. go down. Okay. Uh, but you you mentioned that um, cancer is not the death sentence. I always say, and I have done in mm. for, for the last 10 years, it's um, cancer is not the death sentence it was once known to be. Uh-huh. Because, of okay. course, we do die from having yes. cancer. Yes, this is um, true. But we're now, I'm now educated to know that we can do so much more mm. and take responsibility because we give all the owners to the ownership to the doctors because we feel that, well, this is our health, they're doctors. They're the experts. And that's it. And we yes. only do what they, they do. Mm. We don't stop and say, well, what do I have to do? Mm. Emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, nutritionally, physically, what do I do to make sure that yes. I can make this recovery, you know, and help to heal my body and help to make myself better? So what I want to know, Lee, is what, keeps you so positive what motivates you what fills you up so that you know you can look cancer in the face not once but twice and second time around a stage four diagnosis it's now three times now this it's is now, the third yeah so this yes, is the third it is. recurrence the third so, occurrence yeah. now yes yeah of course well, I'd have to say, ultimately, above anything else, it has to be my faith mm. because it gives me strength and a courage that I doesn't come to me naturally. You know, I was always quiet. I was always quite reserved and, all right, maybe you know, I'm not nobody's quiet. <laughs> no, but generally, okay. right. you know, I'm, I wasn't an outspoken, you know, go out and talk mm. to the public. I was very quiet and I'm comfortable in my own circles. But this has made me come out and talk about something, wear my heart on my sleeve, be vulnerable, you know, show myself at my worst. And so my faith, I can only say my faith and the love for my family and, again, just wanting to make a difference and serve my purpose in this world. You know, you know, surely we, we're not here just to exist. Surely we're here to serve a purpose and, and live a life that makes a difference to others and, and, and just be happy. God, you know, gave me this life. He gave me this body, you know, and I just want to make sure that I remain in gratitude and so whatever the challenges are, I'll deal with them head on. And when you know your enemy, you know how to, you know, combat it. And I said, and I just stay in the word and it just gives me the strength that I need to endure anything. And even with death, this is something that I am now accepting and it's more, it's more relevant and closer to me. And so I've had to prepare my children. Yes, you have. You know, and we've had the discussion over the last couple of weeks yes. about, you know, you know, heaven and, you know, and because... Whether you've got cancer or any other disease, it's inevitable that we're all going to die. Yes. And so... A guarantee. <laughs> it's a guarantee. And so, and again, having faith means that, you know, I am, I, I know that death is a part of life. It's a part, you know, we aren't going to be here forever. But I'm so conscious of now having to prepare my children 
for you know the inevitable whether I'm here for two years 10 years 20 years I want them to be at peace whenever that time may come and that yes they will mourn and they will cry but they will be at peace and they'll have all the wonderful memories that you know me being their mummy and even their sister or cousin or anything would bring that I've left my my family celebrating my life rather than mourning it and we all should celebrate each other's lives and all of our loved ones because God gave us this life for a, a duration, whether Beautiful. it's a short duration or a long one, and it needs to be celebrated at every step of our journey. Yes. And, um, and that's how I live my life. Well, thank you for living your life thank the you. way that you have been, Miss Lily. Thank you so, for being a part of it. <laughs> so, Lee, for the audience, where can they find out more about Pink Lily and the work that you're doing, not just in St. Kitts and Nevis, but the wider Caribbean and Australia now? Yes. Hello. Yes. So where can they find you? Yeah, well, you can find me first and foremost. I have Facebook and I, I will be tapping into all the other social media. Yes, you um, will. Yes. So you'll find me as Lee Paris Cambridge. You'll see me on Facebook. Um, we've got a, a GoFundMe page. And so that's a GoFundMe, Neil Lee's Nailing Cancer um, volunteer trip. And so you can find me there if you'd like to support. I'm going over to Anivis in October and that we have in our, our 10th anniversary walkathon Yay! and it's and it's titled well Celebrate done. Life. Thank you. And so, and of course, I need to get there. And like I said, I've been volunteering for 10 years and we do this all the time and it really brings out the people to support. Yes, and, yes. you know, and they've each got their own reasons for doing the walk and raising awareness. And so, um, but through Island Girls Rock, Yes, you'll find us Come and to so us. We yes get all the info yeah absolutely. but i mean the internet's there just google my name <laughs> or pink lily cancer care and you'll find us our contact details are there whether you're in australia in india you know in the caribbean in the uk cancer is cancer and you know it's always easier to talk to someone who's gone through it um who knows the journey who's not afraid to talk about it and so i'm there to, to extend that love and support Thank you so much, Lee. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to spend time with you. And I'm so happy that you agreed to come onto our show. Oh, my, my pleasure. Thank you. And I love you so much. I love you too. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Island Girls Rock podcast. If you like what you hear, and we really hope you do, please subscribe, rate, or even comment. We'd really love to hear from you. You can catch every episode of Island Girls Rock Podcast on Acast, Apple, CastBox, or your favorite podcast app. You can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram using IGR underscore love or with hashtag Island Girls Rock Pod. You can also visit islandgirlsrock.com to find out more about who we are and what we do. This podcast was produced by Unedited for the Unedited Stories Network. See you again soon.